Come on in and find your seat. We're going to enjoy the preaching of the Word this morning from Pastor Allen. Great. Isn't it awesome to encounter God's presence together as a church family and to enjoy Him together and enjoy one another and connect and have coffee and tea and, man, good stuff. All right, Alan, will you come and let me just pray for you quickly. Father, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you for your word in Pastor Alan. We thank you, Lord, that... uh, Father, this morning we can receive life-changing words into our hearts. God, we thank you that you minister uh, through him and and to us this morning. We thank you for families healed and and built up and encouraged in Jesus' name. God, we thank you, Lord, for your heart to be on full display this morning to every person here in Jesus' name. Bless Alan as he ministers to us. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Merle. Well, welcome again. So good to see each of you here this morning. Many of you know that uh, we've been going through each of the 12 Dove values in our our Sunday morning teachings, and uh, we're up to number nine this morning. I just want to review where we've been uh, so far in uh, in these teachings, and each one sort of goes in a a totally different direction. So... uh, there we go. There we go. So I'm not going to read each of these. You can, you, uh, some of you who've been here before know uh, what these are about. If you want a, a copy of all these Dove values, they're out on the in the lobby on the uh, on the uh, slot wall around to the left when you got into the lobby. So you can get a copy of all 12 of these if you if you want to see it. So uh, value number one is knowing God the Father through His Son Jesus. Number two is being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Number three talks about the Great Commission, about church planning and evangelism and discipleship. Number four talks about marriage and training our children. Uh, Dove value number five, we talked about spiritual families and spiritual parenting. Number six talked about spiritual multiplication and, and reproduction. Number seven was, uh, was all about relationships Number eight, I'm having trouble with my mouse. Can you put that uh, receiver up a little higher somewhere? There you go. There you go. Uh, the last Sunday was every, every Christian is both a priest and a minister. And so brings us up to today where, uh, and so today's theme is a servant's heart is necessary for every leader to empower others. If you have your Bibles, turn your Bibles to uh, the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 20. How many of you have ever heard the phrase upwardly mobile? Ever heard that phrase before? Uh, a lot of us have. And, and uh, the definition of that is the, the capacity or the facility to, uh, to rise to a higher social or economic position or, or level. And, and society's message to us, society's message to people is that we ought to climb up and, and go up the ladder of success and, and get all that you can get, whether that's power or money or influence, and, and that you can exert that over 
other people when, when you've, when you've uh, achieved that. And, and we begin to see here, and I'm going to show you what the Bible says about that, in, in that Jesus' message is really exactly the opposite of society's message of being upwardly mobile. In fact, Jesus' message is exactly the opposite. He says, if you want to be great, you ought to go down the social ladder and serve other people. And so I'm calling this morning's message downwardly mobile. It's the, uh, the exact opposite of what, what society tells us. This is what Jesus tells us. And, and we start out this morning in, in Matthew chapter 20, and this is the story of, of uh, Jesus and his followers getting ready to head to Jerusalem. Jesus, all the while knowing what was going to, he was going to face when he got to Jerusalem. So Matthew 20 and verse 17 says, Jesus, now well on the way up to Jerusalem, took the 12. These were his 12 uh, main followers, his 12 disciples, the apostles, off to the side of the road and said, listen to me carefully. We are on our way up to Jerusalem. When we get there, the Son of Man, that was uh, Jesus' uh, way of referring to himself. It came from Old Testament prophecy. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the religious leaders and scholars, and they will sentence him to death. They will hand him over to the Romans for mockery and torture and crucifixion. And on the third day, he will be raised up alive. Jesus clearly knew what was coming when he went to Jerusalem. He clearly knew that he was going to be going through some horrible things. He warns his followers about what is, is going to come. Jesus' followers either didn't understand or didn't believe. In fact, uh, I believe the Bible says their minds were, were um, not able to perceive it. And, and any of them who, who did might have thought, Wow, that, that sounds terrible. I'm glad that's not going to happen to me. That's Jesus, but that's not going to happen to me, the disciples might have thought. Now, the first, next verses say, It was about that time that the mother of the Zebedee brothers, now the Zebedee brothers were two of Jesus' disciples, two of Jesus' followers, his main apostles named James and John, uh, came with her two sons and knelt before Jesus with a request. What do you want, Jesus asked. And she said, give your word that these two sons of mine will be awarded the highest places of honor in your kingdom, one at your right hand and one at your left hand. And Jesus responded, you have no idea what you're asking. And he said to James and John, are you capable of drinking the cup that I'm about to drink? And they said, sure, why not? And Jesus said, come to think of it, you are going to drink my cup, but as to awarding places of honor, that's not my business. My father is taking care of that. This is the message translation. So the mother of James and John is trying to help her sons get ahead. I'm not clear if this was the son's idea. I'm not clear if it was the mom's idea. The Bible doesn't really say. But this group of 12 is, is pretty notorious throughout the Bible for arguing often about who was most important among the 12. They, they often stop to argue. In fact, the Bible says uh, uh, from Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 22 that often they argued about who was the greatest in, in their, their little group of, of disciples. 
I don't know if you ever worked the system with your parents trying to figure out who was most likely to give in and say yes uh, to you between your mom and your dad. It, it sort of sounds like that's what James and John were, were doing. Maybe Jesus wouldn't say yes to them if they asked directly, but surely he'd say yes to dear old mom when she comes and asks Jesus. Hey, mom, I bet he'll do it if you ask him. James and John want to jump to the top spots of authority and prestige and command. And they're assuming, of course, that Jesus is going to Jerusalem to set up his new kingdom. He's going to kick out the Romans. He's going to announce a brand new Jewish kingdom with Jesus as king. And, and surely he's going to need some important officials around him when he's the king. And, and the Zebedee boys are, are working the system. They're jockeying themselves to, to get ready for that. Perhaps it was going to be James, the vice president, or, or John, the king's chief of staff. They were, they were getting ready. Who cares about those other disciples? We know we're better than them. And so Jesus, of course, answers a question with another question. And he says, are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? In other words, can you handle the same fate that's coming for me in Jerusalem? Can you handle that same outcome that's coming for me in Jerusalem that I'm going to face? Because... Jesus was knowing he was going to face an arrest, false accusations, torture, horrible death on a cross. He knew what was coming. He knew the fate he was facing. And Jesus was saying, guys, can you handle that? John and James blithely say, sure, no problem. And Jesus says, you know, it just so happens you are going to face that same fate that I'm going to face. Because Jesus looks forward into the future and points forward to the future, in fact, to, to the, the, the fact that nearly all the apostles would suffer martyrs' deaths for their faith. Nearly all, every one of those 12 died because they were a Christian, because they were a follower of Jesus. And James and John were part of that of that group. Yes, indeed, they did eventually die for their faith because they were Christians. Matthew 20, the next verse says, when the 10 others of the disciples heard about this, they lost their tempers, thoroughly disgusted with the two brothers. I don't know if you've ever had workplace drama where you work. Workplace politics and drama even happened in Jesus' ministry. Can you believe it? Workplace politics and workplace drama even happened among Jesus' closest little band of followers and disciples. And, you know, even in, in churches, it seems like people can get caught up in position and politics and drama. Uh, I believe... I believe that church people just use religious language about it, you know. Instead of saying they're angry, it's like, I'm grieved in my spirit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we have the same, the same drama and the same politics. We shouldn't, but we do. You know, and instead of sitting hitting that person, I want to lay hands on him suddenly, you know. <laughs> and, you know, and, and the, the good one I love is, is we try to look 
so good on the outside, we, we get proud about how humble we are. You know, think about, think about that. You'll, you'll catch it. <laughs> so Jesus has to settle this workplace drama right there among his 12 disciples. And, and I can sort of picture Jesus just sort of sighing and shaking his head and, and getting them all together because the next verse says, so Jesus got them together to settle things down. <laughs> you know, I was like, all right, guys, come on. Uh, so he got them together to settle things down, and he said, you've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around and how quickly a little power goes to their heads. It's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That is what the Son of Man has done. He came, Jesus talking about himself, he came to serve, not be served, and then to give away his life in exchange for the many who are held hostage. So really Jesus here announces this new leadership philosophy. You want to be a leader, here's a new way to do it. You see how other people do it, those in authority become bosses, and they become tyrants who are power hungry. That's not our way, Jesus said. Instead, this is the way it's going to work in my kingdom. And so the kingdom of God is not one of, of pushing each other around, but of serving each other. If you want to be a godly leader, you have to learn how to serve. And, and I find that this is a, an amazing principle, not just for church, but for family and for marriage, for parenting, for business, as an employee, as an employer, for all of life, Jesus' principles work, don't they? You know, uh, uh, a man by the name of Jim Collins wrote the book, Good to Great, and, and what Jim Collins did was take this huge team of researchers, and he went out and, and researched the, the companies that were really succeeding and doing well. And then he, he boiled down and, and tried to figure out, why do these companies, why are they doing so well, and why are they succeeding so much? And, and he was able to write this book, Good to Great, that, that uh, boiled down what it was about those companies that made them so successful. One of the, the pieces in a successful company or business was uh, the, uh, the leadership. The leaders in the most successful companies were described as full of personal humility, compelling modesty, they were self-effacing, they were understated, they were without gigantic egos. In other words, they weren't power-hungry bosses, but they were servant leaders. And, and it's just amazing to me to see how, how 21st century people, people who aren't uh, perhaps even in the church or perhaps even aren't Christians, uh, perhaps aren't Christians, but they recognize how God's principles work in society and in business and, and in life, even when they don't know those same principles came from God's Word. And, and they're beginning to discover, hey, godly principles work, 
And they don't even know where they came from to begin with. So it's not hard to find, you know, you, you look on, on uh, uh, out in society, find leadership teaching, and it's not hard to find teachings that just line up exactly with God's Word, even though it doesn't say anything about being a Christian. So I want to show you some examples of this this morning of, of leadership teaching and training that is right out there in, in society today that could come from God's Word, but doesn't say anything about being, being a Christian. So how to teach and train today's leaders to be, to be servant leaders. The first graphic is, is the one of the, uh, you know, the boss sitting up top. And he's, uh, he's, he's uh, yelling and, and uh, driving his, his people forward. Where the one on the bottom is the, uh, the leader. And he's out there in front. And he's, he's leading his people forward. And the more I looked at this, at this graphic, I realized that the, the, the workers on, on the bottom graphic are all, what's on their faces? They're all like smiling. They're all enthusiastic. They're all happy. The ones on the top are not. Yeah, so uh, the difference between a boss and a leader, it comes from, comes from God's word. Next one. The boss versus a leader. The boss takes credit and the leader gives credit. All right? So the next one, the boss commands and the leader asks. The boss depends on authority. You can see him sort of shaking his, shaking his hand there in someone's face. Versus the leader depends on goodwill. The boss inspires fear, <laughs> pointing at the clock and saying, faster! <laughs> and the leader generates enthusiasm. I'm sure many of you are sitting there thinking about your own work situations or your own, your own life situations and, and could think of, think of some positive or negative examples from, from uh, the situations you've, you've been in, in in life. The boss uses people, come on, let's get it, versus the leader who develops people. The boss blames people for the breakdown. I remember a job I was in one time where when the, when the uh, production line broke down in the, uh, in the factory, uh, I think twice as much time was spent searching for someone to blame about the breakdown versus the time it took to fix the breakdown. So I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. The boss blames for the breakdown versus the leader who just jumps in and, and works to, to fix the breakdown. And the, uh, the boss drives the employees versus the leader who coaches the employees. Jesus personally illustrated this for his for his disciples in, in his own life. In another scripture in John chapter 13, Jesus, this is uh, at the time of the Last Supper, just before Jesus was, was arrested. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments and took a towel, tied it around his waist, and he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. You are right, for so I am. If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash 
one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. So the kingdom of God is not one of, I want my own way. But the kingdom of God is one of honoring and submitting to one another. The act of washing feet in that culture and in that context was one of a slave because people arrived at a a special occasion uh, having walked with sandals through the streets of, of the city and there were lots of like animals and dirt and dust in those streets and you got there with dirty, dirty feet and and, and so a, a slave, a, a lowly servant, would be appointed to wash all that stuff off people's feet when, when they arrived, to get their feet clean again after they'd walked in the streets of the city. And, you know, no one, not one of those disciples uh, volunteered to, to do that job. There, there was no one to do that. And so Jesus decides, I'm going to teach and, and I'm going to show an example and a lesson for, for uh, my followers here. So after supper, he, he gets the water, he gets the towel. And he, he the, the highest one there, the Lord, the master, begins going around and doing the work of a slave, the lowliest work of all. Jesus' kingdom truly is the, the upside-down kingdom where others accumulate and wield power throwing around their weight and their influence, where in Jesus' kingdom, people serve and honor and and come underneath other people. Others build systems for for elaborate show and display, where in Jesus' kingdom, people are just real and authentic with each other. Others become prosperous and move move from the poor areas in the cities to the rich suburbs, while in Jesus' kingdom, people move to where the greatest needs are, not necessarily where they'll be most comfortable, but where God has called them and where God can use them the most. Others look out only for themselves, but in Jesus' kingdom, people care deeply for each other and, and even sacrifice of themselves to serve, to serve other people. You know, Paul really hammers this home in, in the book of Philippians. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So how do you respond if you wish something in your job was done differently? How do you respond if you wish something in the church were done differently? How do you respond to that? So you respond like a servant. You submit your concern to to the leader in responsibility of that department, that ministry. You don't jump ahead in the chain of command. You do everything properly and with honor. You don't, so, you, for example, you don't go to the president of the company before you go to your supervisor first. Uh, you do it with honor and you do it um, properly. Ultimately, we learn from Scripture what our goal as believers 
should be. And that is one word, Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. Having the same attitudes and the mindset toward God and toward others that Jesus did. Living in the same way that Jesus lived, Christ-likeness. What is it about following Jesus? What is it about imitating Jesus this morning that maybe you find the most difficult? What's the most difficult? Is it loving your enemies? Is it putting others first? Is it choosing to serve instead of being served? Or you can fill in the blank. What is the most difficult thing in following Jesus? Because whatever it is, I believe that God wants to do a new work in, in your heart and your life today. Because God, the Holy Spirit, is always at work inside of us to, to make us more like Jesus. And, and God, the Holy Spirit, is always pointing us to Jesus and saying, see his example, be like Jesus. So I encourage you today to hear what Holy Spirit is, is saying and stirring in, in each one of you. Perhaps it's in your job, perhaps it's in your marriage, perhaps it's in your family, perhaps it's as, uh, as an employer as you go to work tomorrow morning, perhaps as an employee, perhaps it's as you go to school. I encourage you to hear Holy Spirit speaking to you. Be sensitive. Would you open your heart and, and your mind and your spirit to, to his work transforming your life today? And, of course, the, the most important piece is to make that first initial step of becoming a Jesus follower because it really doesn't do any good to clean up everything on the outside and act good on the outside if our, if our heart isn't right before God on, on the inside. John 3 and verse 16 says, God loved the world so much. God loved each one of us so much. He gave his only son, Jesus, to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. So if you've never done so this morning, I just invite everyone to maybe just bow their heads and close their eyes this morning. I invite you to believe in Jesus for the first time. Step into God's kingdom today. And, and perhaps if you've never done that, would you perhaps just pray along quietly in your heart as I lead you in prayer? Jesus, I'm sorry for the things I have done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything I know to be wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life. By your spirit to be with me. Forever. Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? I'd like to invite our prayer ministers to come. We'd like to be here to pray with you this morning. And I'd like to pray a blessing on you. I believe that God is working in many people's hearts and lives this morning in, in uh, changing our mindsets, changing the way we think, the way we live, the way we view others. And I just want to pray that, that blessing. And I want to pray that uh, God would just continue to work and move 
in you this morning. So Lord, uh, this morning I pray for each person here, Lord, as we've been challenged to be more like Jesus, as we've been challenged today to be a servant, to be one who serves. And, and Lord, today would you begin to work in each of our lives as we take that next step in what you're calling us to. And that next step may be completely different for each person here. And Lord, as an employee, as an employer, as a husband, as a wife, as a, as a uh, person who, who uh, connects with many other people, Lord, I pray that you would show us the next steps to take in being a servant leader, one who, one who serves, one who is uh, one who gets down and, and washes the feet and, and serves others. So Lord, would you show us those next steps that, that you're calling us to. Lord, uh, show us where you're, where you're moving next in our lives. Would you bring change into our hearts, into our minds, into our thoughts, into our attitudes, into our actions this week, Lord? I bless this church as we go from here today. Lord, we honor you. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, let your work not stop right now, but let your work continue. Holy Spirit, would you continue to transform us into your likeness, into the likeness of Jesus, that, that this week we can take just another step in becoming like Jesus. Lord, I bless this church in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're invited to uh, come forward for prayer. We have prayer ministers here. We'd love to pray with you this morning. God bless you. You're dismissed. You're dismissed.